It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Thursday, February 22nd. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. What will our oceans look like in 100 years? A Sitka scientist is using kelp to help answer that question. KCAW's Meredith Reddick has the story on how a new study could help scientists predict how these underwater ecosystems are likely to change and why that matters for Alaskans on dry land. For Sitka scientist Lauren Bell, kelp is a window into the future of Alaska's oceans. Bell says kelp is the foundation for the rest of the marine ecosystem. Well, I think the natural analogy for kelp is like the forests that we're used to walking through on land. And if you are lucky enough to swim uh, in our coastal ocean and swim through a kelp forest, it might remind you of forests on land. And it's an apt analogy because they are really important habitat and they are an incredible food supply. In a study published in the journal Ecosphere last month, Bell shared new research on what Alaska's kelp forest might look like in 100 years. Long-term changes to kelp forests, say if the kelp grows more slowly or is less tasty to the critters eating it, could have far-reaching effects on the ecosystem. Bell points to herring as one example. Seaweeds are a really important habitat for the early life stages of herring. Herring are, of course, a really important food for a lot of other animals, birds, bears, so we're going into terrestrial food webs, um, and whales. And so if their early life stage habitat is disrupted and that impacts their ability to thrive and make it to adult stages, that could have direct effects on the rest of the food web. To study how kelp might grow under future conditions, Bell chose three species and grew them in tanks using hot tub heaters and bubblers to make the water warmer and more acidic. Bell says the kelps responded differently to changing conditions. Two species struggled to grow and absorb nutrients, and one species, giant kelp, actually grew better under future ocean conditions. That sounds like good news, but it could make it hard for other kelp to thrive. Bell says overall, these results help to paint a bigger picture of our ocean's future. The minutia of this particular study is less important than the fact that it's adding to this now growing volume of research that's supporting the fact that especially here in Alaska, our oceans are, are changing and they're changing fast. Bell says that matters for coastal Alaskans, from subsistence harvesters and mariculture moguls to fishermen. It has implications for our economy that depends on ocean resources, to individual people's paychecks that that are involved in fisheries or, or um, ocean industries, to the burgeoning marine mariculture industry, um, and you know a lot of a lot of our livelihood and and uh, well-being that is connected to the ocean in this state. In her new role as the Sitka Sound Science Center Research Director, Bell is hoping to continue facilitating research that connects to and helps answer questions for the community. In Sitka, I'm Meredith Reddick. You can find the link to the full paper on our website, kcaw.org. In response to the deadly November landslide that killed six people in Wrangell, U.S. Senator Lisa Murkowski has introduced a bill to help communities better prepare for the increasingly common natural disaster. Murkowski and Washington Democratic Senator Maria Cantwell successfully pushed to get the National Landslide Preparedness Act passed in 2021 and have now moved to reauthorize it for the next 10 years. In an address at a community luncheon in her hometown of Ketchikan Friday, Murkowski said Wrangell is recovering from a tragedy felt by both Haines and Sitka in recent years. 
She said these 100-year events are happening more frequently. And we're seeing heavier, heavier rains. And we, we got pretty good data back from the rainbow slide, and it was the combination of just the heavy saturation of the rain and the wind at the right time. Well, tell me, tell me when you don't get heavy saturation of rain and wind at the same time in places like this. Scientists say climate change is making landslides more common in southeast Alaska, a region that is well accustomed to rain but is now receiving heavier rainfall within shorter periods of time. And that's pushing the limits of soil saturation and stability. After a 2015 landslide killed three people in Sitka, the community worked with federal agencies to model landslide conditions and eventually partnered with researchers to develop a landslide warning system. That sort of monitoring and early alert system is what Murkowski hopes the Landslide Preparedness Act can help more communities with. But during that same Ketchikan luncheon, she admitted that any legislation is difficult to pass in an election year. Later that day, Murkowski spoke more about the topic after an Elizabeth Paradovich event at Ketchikan High School. She said in the short term, Southeast communities can take solace in the fact that they already have some existing soil data to work with. I don't think people should think that we're starting from ground zero, that we don't have some of this data. When Forest Service used to harvest timber around here, they actually did soil monitoring. They needed to know what was going on. If they were going to put a road up there, they needed to have some understanding as to whether or not it was going to be safe. Murkowski said ultimately the natural disasters themselves can't be prevented, but an early warning system could help save lives and property. Petersburg's Teachers Union is negotiating a new contract with the school district. Both the union and the district say years of flat education funding from the state is making the negotiations more complicated this year. And as KFSK's Hannah Floor reports, they're worried about the effects that lack of funding will have on the quality of education the district is able to provide. The Petersburg School District negotiates new contracts with its teachers once every three years. The last time, the two groups agreed to a 1% increase per year. Alice Kumps is the president of the Associated Teachers of Petersburg. We didn't know at that time that our um, cost of living expenses were going to go up, that inflation was going to be so high, but we were locked into that rate. Now, Kumps says salaries at the school district are lower than most across the state. Kumps didn't give specifics as to what teachers are asking for this time around, since they're still actively in negotiations. We're really just asking for um, a fair fair wage increase, um, a fair salary schedule. Kump says this year the negotiations are more complicated than usual because the school district has so little money to work with. She says that's because of flat state education funding. The state's base student allocation, which is essentially the funding for each student in a district, hasn't increased since 2017. She says the teachers' union understands the position that the district is in. We do recognize that, that the district has limited funds. Kump says the union is concerned about the effects the lack of funding could have on the district. Regardless of whether or not we get a pay increase, we are worried that we will be looking at cutting programs. So whether that means cutting teachers or cutting programs that our students um, are used to having in our communities. Those are, those are always questions that we are going to be faced with when, when we don't get the funding that we need. School Board President Sarah Holmgrain is working on the negotiations with the teachers' union. She says the lack of funding from the state is a huge problem. 
She says if things don't change, eventually the district will have to cut programs and teachers. The worst case scenario I see happening is you're starting cutting specific programs that aren't required. So you can go down the list of what classes in the middle school and high school that aren't required in order to graduate. In the elementary school, what are not required by state or federal law. Right now we have class sizes anywhere from 15 to 20 kids. That could look very different when you have one teacher per grade instead of two. She says years of flat funding from the state have created these problems. A lot of these concerns could be solved if the legislature did their job and went around the governor. Just said, we got the votes. You can say what you want, but this is what our districts need, despite what your personal vendetta is against public education. Last year, the House and Senate agreed to one-time funding equivalent to a $680 per student increase. Governor Mike Dunleavy vetoed half of that increase. This year, advocates for local school districts are asking for an increase of more than $1,400. The district also receives funding from the Petersburg Borough. The state caps the amount each municipality is allowed to give a school district. The borough has never funded the school district to that cap. Last year was the first time in more than 20 years that the school district asked for and received a funding increase from the Petersburg Borough Assembly. The borough gave the district $3 million, up from $1.8 million in previous years. Holmgren says that this year, the district plans to ask for the current maximum amount of $3.4 million. I think they've been really good about going over our budget and seeing how little wiggle room we have. I don't doubt for a second that there'll be lots of questions because that's their job. Their job is to make sure that they're being good stewards of the money that they're turning around and giving to the school district. Holmgren says that while education funding problems are complicated, the district's negotiation with the Associated Teachers of Petersburg has not been contentious. You know, we both have the same goal in mind. So I think um, I'm not too worried about that at all. The Petersburg Borough Assembly and the Petersburg School Board have a school budget work session scheduled for February 29th. There is no deadline for the teachers' negotiation. In Petersburg, I'm Hannah Floor. Taking a look at the community calendar. The Southeast Alaska Tribal Ocean Research has issued a paralytic shellfish poisoning advisory for butter clams in DeGroff Bay with shellfish PSP levels above the regulatory limit. Sitka Public Library and the Southeast Alaska Regional Health Consortium offers a series of free public talks about pregnancy and birth at 6.30 p.m. on Thursdays, February 22nd and March 7th and 21st at the library. And Sitka Tribe of Alaska enrolled citizens, STA staff, and their families are invited to free open swim at 7 p.m. Thursdays through June 27th at the Mount Edgecombe High School Aquatic Center. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News.